This is KFCF 88.1 FM in Fresno. Stay tuned next for Science, a Candle in the Dark. the dark a monthly conversation about the wonders of science and how it illuminates our path in this astonishing universe in association with the Caf Central Valley Cafe Scientifique we strive to make science a part of our public discourse especially here in California's Central Valley I'm your host Dr. Marusudan Katti from the biology department at Fresno State and uh, I'll, we'll be talking about things that may have some resonance with, her, with our upcoming cafe date uh, for, for regular cafe visitors or cafeinistas might know that our next talk is next week on Wednesday May the 4th <laughs> now May the 4th also happens to be Star Wars Day which is kind of interesting because Star Wars is suddenly back in our zeitgeist now you know with the new Star Wars movie and and, and uh, my kids are all excited about it again so we don't we don't have a Star Wars themed event. I was hoping to get somebody who might actually be able to talk about maybe the science of Star Wars, but then you start talking about that and often, you know, with some of my science and science fiction aficionados among my colleagues, we, we, you end up arguing about whether Star Wars, how much science is in Star Wars as opposed to it being a space opera. But that's, you know, that's a, a larger conversation perhaps. But we, would, we do have somebody who's going to talk about planets, moons and magnets that's the the theme of our cafe scientific talk next week so let me introduce uh, our guest today is dr alain platner he's an assistant professor in the department of earth and environmental sciences at fresno state and uh, our regular caffeinistas may have seen him at pu's pub during recent talks perhaps he's enthusiastic about uh, science communication science in the public sphere and I'm happy to have him here. So welcome to Candle in the Dark, Alain. Thank you very much, Madhu. I'm very happy to be here. So uh, let me start by asking you to tell us a little bit about your journey to being an international scholar. I know you started in Europe, but you've ended up in California. And all the while, you've been chasing moons and planets out there in space, <laughs> right? So who are you, Alain Platner, and how did you end up here in Fresno? So I was born in Switzerland, as you uh -huh. said correctly, in Europe, and I did my undergrad and master's degree at the University of Basel in the field of mathematics, actually. Uh -huh. But then at the end, after I graduated from my master's degree, I wanted to be able to use the mathematics that I learned, the techniques and everything, for something more applied, more real-world-like. I know mm. planets and moons doesn't sound very <laughs> applied, but... Hey, we live on a planet, so I, I, to me it seems <laughs> like it should be applied. Exactly. So I actually did a detour. My, my PhD was in near-surface geophysics, applied mm -hmm. geophysics, where I developed methods to, or improved methods, to look into the soil, into the ground, using mm. electrical currents. Mm. And I still have some smaller projects going on with students here at Fresno State, mm -hmm. but my main research um, focus changed when I started my postdoc on the East Coast here in the United States. So slowly moved westwards okay. and um, shifted to planetary magnetic fields, hmm. magnetic fields of moons, and how to make maps of magnetic fields. And that's also what got me my job here at Fresno State. How long have you been here now? Two years. Okay. 
So still still learning the ropes of Fresno? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a great town. The local magnetic field drew you in somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how, well, number of questions that come to my mind, I don't know much about magnetic fields other than the fact from my field of research that, you know, I know birds and animals use them to orient themselves during migration. But how, how is it that a, a body like, a planetary body like the Earth has a magnetic field? Very good question. Um, there are actually several magnetic fields that come, for mm -hmm. example, from Earth. The, the strongest one that we see and feel most is the one that comes from the core. Mm -hmm. So Earth has a solid inner core and a liquid outer core. And there are movements in the liquid outer core of electri uh, electric particles mm -hmm. that, you know, electric movements creates a magnetic field. And so that magnetic field, which we call core field, looks mostly like a bar magnet with its okay. north pole close to geographic north pole and south pole close to geographic south pole. Mm -hmm. And that's also what we use mostly when we have compasses mm -hmm. to yeah, orient yeah. ourselves. Yeah. Um, there is a weaker field coming from the planet's crust. Okay. And that is from minerals that take on the magnetic direction when they, for example, cool down from magma or lava or when we have sedimentation and then we also have fields, for example, from thunderstorms, but those mm. are usually short-lived and move around quickly, whereas okay. the crustal fields move around slowly, for okay. example, when Earth's plates move. Okay. So, uh, the, the thing that, that I always wonder about in terms of magnets and magnetic fields is from the viewpoint of, you know, I mentioned before that I, I look at it from the viewpoint of animals that migrate because that's kind of what I study. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, at, it seems like you're saying there's multiple, multiple sort of magnetic fields and I know there's also local variation often, right? So yes. in some, it's, it's not always the same orientation and your compass can give you deviations and take you in the wrong direction depending on local magnetic fields. Yes. So what, what generates that kind of variation on the planet? Um, so the core field that we talked about earlier that mostly looks like a bar magnetic field is from these moving liquids and as you can imagine moving liquids create a lot of that's a very dynamic system so actually our north pole is slowly wandering around okay and therefore plain um compasses magnetic field maps constantly need to be adjusted for that moving okay. north pole and that regional variation mm. and then if you walk around close to rocks that are strongly magnetized your mm -hmm. compass may actually even deviate just because of the magnetic field of that rock mm -hmm. yeah this reminds me of one of these the interesting studies I had come across recently where somebody had used Google Earth imagery to look at the orientation of cows resting in different fields uh, if you look at google earth image you can actually see cows sometimes and so this study a few years ago this is one of the fun things that i sort of came across and i was like oh why did nobody think of you know why did how did anyone think of that yeah but it turned out that the cows that are resting in fields such as ones you might find in the central valley here apparently tend to orient themselves in, a, in along the magnetic field in a north south axis and one of the things this this study had done was they had actually looked at regional variation in the mm. field and uh, as a way to test if the if the cows are actually orienting mm -hmm. to the magnetic field and found that they do indeed do that huh. and then this aligned with some studies in europe where they looked at red deer which okay. tend to do that as well 
that wow okay so i heard about an original part of that study probably or an initial part yeah. where they said cows were oriented mostly north south and mm -hmm. i thought is it the magnetic field or is it just sunlight because they like to have mm -hmm. the sun on their sides mm -hmm. but um i i don't know i don't know anything about the the further the second yeah, part that you I talked I about that day it may be something that i'm misremembering but i do remember sort of seeing that in this article no, this I a few years ago. I, I trust that you probably <laughs> <laughs> okay. understood so it correctly. So how do you actually study the magnetic field? So um, what I do is um, I take magnetic field data that is collected by satellites. Mm -hmm. So I focus mostly on planets and moons, not on Earth's data. Um, so I take the data that is collected by satellites because we don't have anyone who can just walk around on Mars <laughs> with a <laughs> magnetometer, right? Or on the moon. Um, well, maybe we send some people up there with a magnetometer, hopefully. Did Matt Damon have one? In the <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. You That's don't a know. good <laughs> question. <laughs> um, so I take those satellite um, magnetic field data, mm -hmm. and then I try to make a map of the magnetic field on the planet's surface. Okay. So I'm mostly interested in the crustal magnetic field, that hmm. weaker field, not the core field. Okay. And th a difficulty with that is that the satellites are far away from the planet's surface. Mm -hmm. So what looks like a sharp, strongly varying field on the planet's surface looks like a blurry mess at satellite altitude. Hmm. That's a bit like you can imagine there's a Beyonce concert over at Safe Mode Center and you're here at Goldstein's mm -hmm. and you, you try to listen to um, the songs. Well, if you know the songs, y you, you'll mostly hear the bass sound, right? Mm -hmm. You don't hear much treble or vo um, um, the, the voice. Yeah. So you try to guess what song it is. If you know the songs, your chances are probably quite good. If you don't know the song, let's say she sings a new song that you've never heard. Now try to imagine you hear the wobbly bass stuff mm -hmm. from the Save Mode Center far away mm -hmm. and you try to need to guess what the song is. I think mm -hmm. that roughly describes the difficulty of trying to map the magnetic field on the planet's surface from far away from the satellite. Hmm. Okay. It's funny that you should bring up Beyonce given she's so much in the news right now <laughs> for dropping lemonade. And I was I was just thinking <laughs> Jay Z might be trying to figure out what she's singing about right now. <laughs> but I I don't know the song. <laughs> <I> it's <laughs> alright. <laughs> But but that's an interesting analogy to think about how you get data from a, a distance and try to make an inference. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the other things that we often hear in in it's a trope in popular culture in science fiction sometimes, and it's also something that comes up maybe in TV shows and so on. Is this this idea that the magnetic poles can switch, mm -hmm. and the polarity can switch on Earth, and there's historical evidence for that happening. So is that, s how often does that happen? And is that something that we should be worried about destroying our civilization or something like that? Yes, um, that's something that is happening on, so it's on very irregular scales. And so when we talk about the magnetic field switching, then we mean the core field again, yeah. the one that is generated in the liquid outer core okay. and that mostly looks like a bar magnet. Okay. And I say mostly because as we talked about earlier, it has deviations from mm -hmm. that bar magnetic thing. And when it's, because it's such a dynamic thing, the pole switching actually happens because of the dynamics within the outer core, okay. because of those fluids that move around. And when that happens, then the dipolar part really gets weaker. Okay. But it doesn't mean that the magnetic field will vanish altogether. 
Okay. And one question if uh, that that you posed is if that's going to wipe out mankind. S I haven't heard any scientist being worried about that. And the reason why we're not worried about that is because so when we look at the record of whenever it happens mm -hmm. and we align that with extinction events, then we can't see a correlation. Yeah. So they don't seem to be ex large ex or any extinction events aligned. It might it might confuse some migratory animals, perhaps. But yeah, and and it, uh, it, it, I think there are chances that it, it will affect our, our communication satellites. There may there may mm -hmm. be issues, mm -hmm. um, but but it will not wipe out mankind. Also, it happens over very long time scales. Okay. So on a oh. geologic scale, it looks like nothing, mm -hmm. but it happens over. Th maybe a thousand years hundreds okay. to a thousand years so ah. it's not like it will turn off tomorrow okay it's not it's not an instant switch yeah okay. so okay. don't buy insurance for that <laughs> okay all right uh do all planets have or all planetary bodies or moons have a magnetic field oh that's a great question and um we're actually gaining more and more knowledge in order to figure that out we need to send probes to those planets mm -hmm. or moons so we um I'm I'm studying moons and planets within the inner solar system. So that's mm -hmm. from Mercury to Mars. And we know, so Earth, we know, has a core field mm -hmm. and a crustal magnetic field. The moon, we know, has a crustal magnetic field, but no core field. Okay. Um, Venus has no core field, and as far as we know, no crustal magnetic field. Huh, okay. Mercury is a really interesting case. So Mercury has a core field like Earth's core field yeah. that looks like a bar magnet with its North Pole again close to the geographic North Pole. But it's shifted by 20% oh. of the planet's radius. So it's actually shifted up to the north. Huh. But okay. the core seems to be still in the center of the planet. So it's... Uh, it's, it's really odd. And what we know since last year, and that, that's, that's some amazing research by, by a scientist at uh, University of British Columbia, is that um, so she did some very sophisticated data analysis from a probe that was orbiting Mercury a couple of years ago and actually only just crash landed pretty much exactly a year ago. Mm -hmm. And she managed to filter out from all the noisy solar stuff. She managed to see that there is a crustal magnetic field on Mercury. So that's very exciting, yeah. which is also special because Mercury is very close to the sun. Yeah. So it, it tends to get very hot. Okay. And heat can delete a crustal magnetic field. Huh. Okay. So, so is that why Venus doesn't have one? That's what we think, yeah. That's what most huh. people think. Huh. So, the so then the colder planets farther away are more likely to have stronger fields or or is that something you can generalize yet? So the planets further away have a different composition, yeah. right? So we have the gas giants yeah. and then the, the outer planets. Um, so I so the gas giants don't have a crust. They don't, they don't have, have a crust magnetic field, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of them do have a core field. Yeah, um, yeah I, I don't know what the outer planets do. Okay. And I don't we know if we, we know. Yeah, we need more probes to go out there, I guess. Yeah. Oh, but it's very difficult um, because, for example, so to have a good, 
to have a good map of a planet's crustal magnetic field, you need to orbit it. Yeah. Right. But so the reason so you can't just have things that fly by. Exactly. Okay. It's very difficult because you don't know yeah. what is noise, what is, yeah. and what is actually coming from the planet's mm -hmm. crust. And so the recent probe that we sent past Pluto, New Horizons, that mm -hmm. just passed it last, wait, was a, a bit less than a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. And that one just did one flyby. So yeah. and it didn't have a magnetometer. Yeah. So uh, in terms of planetary exploration, you know, we've had a, a, a physicist colleague here last year talk about how we're discovering planets at other, you know, around other stars and the, and the possibility of, you know, the the Goldilocks zone for planets and and planets being potentially inhabitable. Uh, is it necessary for a planet to have a magnetic field for life to exist? Do you think? I don't think so. Um, so we we have life in very extreme situations. Yeah, we call that kind of life extreme. Well, you're a biologist, so mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so, for example, if you have life that lives underneath a thick ice sheet, mm -hmm. then that thick ice sheet shields it off enough from solar radiation to not be a problem. Okay. So if you have heat sources and liquid water underneath a thick ice sheet, why not? Okay. Also, if you have um, water in pores within the crust of a planet, like mm -hmm. for example, Mars, there are chances too if there is a heat source. Yeah. And thanks to that, I think you don't even need to be in the Goldilocks zone to be warm enough because you can be inside yeah. the crust or underneath yes. something that that provides the warmth yeah I exactly yeah. and and the warmth could come from the inside of the planet yeah that's interesting yeah so but f in terms of our own planetary exploration is it how important is it to to map the magnetic field of a planet before we send uh you know uh, uh, humans up onto that surface or something like that so understanding or having a good map of the crustal magnetic field of a planet is very helpful in understanding the history and the structure of that planet. Um, there's a great example, my favorite example is on Earth. Mm -hmm. Up until relatively recently, a few decades ago, we didn't have a very strong understanding of the dynamics of how the planet Earth works, okay. the crust. And um, that that theory that only gained really traction within the last uh, maybe 70 or less years, even maybe only 50 years, is plate tectonics. And one of the key proofs or key components that convinced people that it's actually happening mm -hmm. was that we saw that there are parallel magnetic stripes in the Atlantic. And... Mm people understood that those parallel magnetic stripes are nicely symmetric. In the middle, they have a ridge. Mm -hmm. And so people understood that what happened there is that new crust is being formed. Yeah. And when it's being formed, so it's first hot, mm -hmm. and then it cools down. And when it cools down, it takes on the magnetic field that is surrounding it, mm -hmm. okay. which is Earth's core magnetic field. Yeah. Now, we talked earlier about those reversals, yeah. right? So if you have something that is slowly growing and you first um so you have you have these these new this new crust that is forming parallel 
um, from a ridge. So when it cools down, it takes on one direction, right? Mm -hmm. And then it continues new crust is being formed. The older one is being pushed to the sides. So the new one, when we have a flip of the magnetic field, takes on the other direction okay. and so on. Yeah. So that was such, a, such an important piece of information to yeah. piece together the understanding of how Earth works. Yeah. And, well, we hope that knowing or understanding or s having a good map of the crustal magnetic field of Mars, of the Moon, of Mercury will help us hmm. get s such an understanding as well for those planets. Cool. And I, I have to say that I'm, I'm unfortunately, uh, we don't have a video camera here, but <laughs> I, I, you're making me wish that we had a, a, a <laughs> my camera hand movement. <laughs> because you're illustrating all the crustal movements with your hand so beautifully <laughs> and our listeners can't see you do that. <laughs> I, so I, I may <laughs> have to think about a, a, a video right. stream for the future, but, but that was really nice. And, and, <laughs> and that may be one reason why I think our listeners will want to come to, to Peeves Pub next week. Uh, to see you give, give your talk and maybe <laughs> demonstrate with your hands. <laughs> see me move my hands. <laughs> yeah. So I, tr I try to make that, I try to describe that hand movement yeah. by saying pushing it outwards. <laughs> it's quite magnetic. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I'm going to switch things up a little bit and I'm going to try s uh, something new that I've been thinking about doing with the show, which is to, to ask a set of broader questions, which I think uh, people might want to ask scientists in general. Mm -hmm. So if you're game for that, and I'm, I appreciate oh yeah. sort of taking on something new. So let's see. And some of these questions I came up with uh, help from my teenage daughter, who's a science enthusiast and is often a regular at Cafe Scientifique. Excellent. So, so you know, these are kinds of things that she wonders about when she hears the cafe talks. Mm -hmm. So here we go. Uh, let's say you're at a taqueria somewhere in Fresno, uh, lunch hour or something, maybe Don Pepe is near campus. Mm -hmm. Uh, you're getting a taco for lunch, and the person behind the counter asks you, so what do you do, Dr. Platner? So wh how would you respond to someone like that? I would first say, call me Alain. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then I would say, what I do is I make maps of magnetic fields of other planets and moons, and we want to have those maps because we want to understand the history and structure of those other planets and moons. And the reason why we want to understand the history and structure is, first of all, exploration, right? Mm -hmm. We want to see new horizons, new new things, but also understanding the history and structure of a planet helps us assessing the possibility of life there and of looking where we need to look for. And in my opinion, that's one of the most, I find that one of the most intriguing questions, is there life outside of Earth? Okay. Uh, all right. So, can you describe a day in your research life? Yes. Um, my research is very computer-based. So for that magnetic field research, I don't go out to Mars. I <laughs> it's too, too expensive. <laughs> Fresno State can't afford a space yeah. shuttle to take me to Mars. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Well, maybe if Chancellor White. Right. Um, so the data that I use is all freely available on NASA's website. Okay. Um, you may need to dig a little bit to find where exactly it is, but anyone can download it. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I download that those data sets, and then I, I think about mathematical ways of overcoming the problem that we talked about earlier of trying to guess mm -hmm. Beyonce's song from sitting far away. Mm -hmm. And I program that out in a computer, so my mathematics background and experience in programming is key to my research mm -hmm. 
program that out and then run sometimes large long taking calculations that then generate those maps and then I look at those maps and try to understand what's happening on that planet and oh, th th that's the hardest part so okay <laughs> I must say for most places I have no idea what's going on all right <laughs> that's interesting so uh, how did you interact with science as a teenager actually not that much um, I I was just a normal kid in Switzerland I so are you saying normal kids don't explore science? <laughs> <laughs> well, as a teenager, yeah, yeah no, um, I, I just went to school regularly. It, it kind of, I think a key, a really important part for me was my, my high school math teacher. Hmm. He, it, it really helped that, so in Switzerland, the job of a high school teacher is highly respected, very well paid. And so a lot of our high school math teachers have PhDs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he had a PhD in astrophysics. And the way he explained math, the whole ideas behind it just fascinated me. So I wanted to go into math. And when I studied math, I wanted to learn how to use it to learn more about the world around me. So it's more like a step-by-step -step thing, not a um, waking up one morning and saying, oh, I want to look at planets. <laughs> okay. That's cool. Uh, do you have a any kind of crazy research story? Anything exciting happening? Uh, I can I can um, I can talk about a funny failure that happened very recently, and it is that was going to be my other, other question. Yeah, do you have any <laughs> failures? In yeah. yeah. So I yeah um, I I think crazy research stories now. I cut my finger on a piece of paper <laughs> a couple of times. That's why I don't use paper anymore. So that's the risk. <laughs> paper is the risk yeah. for somebody who studies <laughs> planetary magnetic fields. That's exactly. Yeah. But so a recent what, failure, failure yeah. and I think that's something that um, is happening a lot. Um, so what um, I, I, I put in a lot of effort into finding this new way of, improved way of calculating maps of magnetic fields. And I I picked out the best data set that I found for Mars and I ran calculations. I put in a huge effort and I ended up with this map and I was fascinated. It looked mm -hmm. great. And, and I said, okay, let's see what other people have done. So I, I wanted mm -hmm. to compare my results to other people's results. And it looked exactly the same. How much effort had you taken, uh, had it taken you to do this? Uh, weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe two weeks. And you ended up in the same place. I ended up with exactly the same thing. Um, which it's good because I only used a small subset of the data that other people have used. Ah, okay. And um, and it was proof of concept that I can use it for other data sets where we only have a small subset. Okay. But it wasn't anything new. But so what I did in that case was to overcome that apparent failure, mm -hmm. I started asking more specific questions. I started looking at more detail into smaller parts and am now so that only happened mm -hmm. two weeks ago mm -hmm. and so i'm now starting to see new things that haven't yet been published ah, okay so th I, I guess that's what that's what science and life is about you you get up one more time than you fall down right? yeah and we don't often talk about those falling downs and i think that's important especially in science because it doesn't have a linear progress you know towards increasing knowledge or something it's always this meandering path right um let me get political for a minute, given our political season, mm -hmm. and ask you uh, if you had a 
let's say one minute of uh, one of the presidential candidates time uh, what would you say to them about your research or about science in general what do you think a presidential candidate should know I think it's very important to understand that science is not just about the end result mm -hmm. it's not just about oh I now have this much better map of Mars or oh I now know more about plate tectonics on that planet if it's not happening. Um, the, the important thing is more to understand the path, to understand the way of thinking, to be really critical with yourself, to constantly ask yourself, is what I'm doing really right? Are the data that I'm using to answer my question, can they really answer my question? And I think that is something that is I, I don't know how... Remember, you only have a minute with the, the candidate. Yeah, okay, then my minute is up. <laughs> like, it's very important for people to study science, not just for the end results, but to understand the way of thinking. Okay, all right. So, uh, where can people find you? I know they can find you next week at Peeves Pub, talking about your work, but more generally, if, they have any, if anyone has questions about moons or magnets... Yes, so I do have a website. Okay. It's www.alanplatner.net. So it's just my name in one go. Okay. If you can't remember or don't know how to spell my name, don't worry. <laughs> you can find it linked through my Fresno State website. So just go to Fresno State Earth and, Earth and Environmental Science Department and click on my name, and then there's a link to my website. You can also find me at Peeves many other nights, uh -huh. not just... <laughs> not just cafe. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. So thank you for being our guest today, and uh, I look forward to seeing you at PU's Pub uh, next week. And of course, I'll see you on, on campus as well. Uh, really appreciate you making yourself available for this uh, as well. So thank you very much for having me here. It was, it was a great. It was great. So that's our show for today. Uh, Science, A Candle in, in the Dark will be back on the fourth Tuesday of May. Uh, and the Central Valley Cafe Scientific will meet at Peeves Pub on Wednesday, May the 4th, where we hope you'll join us uh, and, and join our guest today to learn more about planets, moons, and magnets. For more information about the cafe and announcements about upcoming events, please visit our website at valleycafesci.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter. The show is produced by me, uh, Madhusudan Katti, and Vic Bedoyan. And the theme music was composed by Scott Hatfield. With that, so long. And until next month, happy sciencing. Because remember, science is a verb.